Good morning. Thank you, Andrew. It's good to see everyone this morning, and if you're joining us from home right now, a very special welcome to you. We hope at some point you'll feel comfortable to come in, and we'd love to worship together with you live, but until then, we're so glad that you're joining us in worship this morning. As Andrew said, we'll be in Luke chapter 7 this morning. If you've been with us throughout this year, better part of now eight months, we've been in the Gospel of Luke, and we've made it all the way to chapter 7 so far, and so... Yeah, God's doing some amazing things through this series that we're in right now. But I want to start by asking you a question this morning, and that question is a pretty simple one. Have you ever felt the, the feeling of owing someone something? The feeling of being in debt. Maybe it's something that you're thinking about right now. Yeah, if you only saw the bills that I had this week. Or maybe it's something that you're thinking, I owe my neighbor something that they gave me. Or I owe a book to the library. That feeling of owing something to someone. That feeling of being indebted to someone else. It's a feeling that probably most of us have experienced in some form at some place in our lives, whether that's looking at a mortgage payment, a car payment, whether that's something that you have to owe someone else, maybe it's a big project coming up at work, and you're thinking, I owe someone something. I remember about 20-something years ago when I was finishing up my last class in college, and I remember right after the final class was done, we had about a week before graduation day, and there was this one week of celebration and everyone coming together to celebrate that the seniors had graduated from college and this great celebration coming up. There was one little thing, one little to-do that we all had to do before we could actually walk in graduation, and that was this simple meeting with the financial aid office. So everyone had to go to this meeting before you could celebrate and walk in graduation. Of course, I went to the meeting. At the meeting, they hand you this packet with your name on it. You open up the packet, and there it is sitting in front of you, the incredible amount of money that you now owe to this loan company or to the federal government. That kills any celebration that could possibly happen that week. It was in that moment that I was faced with the amazing debt that I now owed after this was all said and done, right? It's, I borrowed X amount of dollars, and for the next 50 or 60 years of my life, I will be paying X plus Y plus Z plus A, B, and C. It's this reminder that you owe something. How do you feel when you know you owe something? That feeling that's in your heart that you have this tremendous debt that you now have to pay. It also reminds me, in 2019, you may have heard the news headlines when Morehouse College was having their graduation, and Robert F. Smith, the, the financier and, the, uh, and the, the, the billionaire Robert F. Smith, was invited to come and speak to the graduates that day. And you may have remembered these headlines. Robert F. Smith gets up in front of the audience, and he delivers what's a very typical commencement address, the kind that nobody's really listening to. But then at the very end of his speech, he says something that most people were not expecting. He says, my family and I would like to pay your entire student debt. Now, the reaction that day was similar to the reaction you just heard in this room right now. There was nothing. But then after a couple of seconds, people started to register to what he just said. He said, we will pay your debt. That was 396 students sitting there. And he and his family had, had vowed that they would pay close to $50 million to cover the debt of every student that was listening that morning. How would you feel in that moment? Imagine knowing that I owe this tremendous debt, 
and also imagine knowing that the tremendous debt was paid for me. This morning, as we look into God's word, this is what we're going to look at. The knowledge of knowing that I owe a tremendous debt and also knowing that that debt has been paid for me. So if you have your Bibles this morning, as Andrew said, we'll be on page 684, I'm sorry, 864 if you've got a Bible here in the room, or Luke chapter 7, and we'll begin at verse 36. We read there like this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Have you ever been to a really awkward dinner party? Because that's what we're looking at right now. If you think about what's happening, and I think it's so important, if we're going to understand the depth, the theological depth of what's happening here, we've got to put ourselves in the room as this is happening. Jesus has been invited to the home of a Pharisee. A Pharisee would have been a teacher of the law, a righteous and pious person known for being an upholder of the laws of God. Now, we've already seen Jesus eating at the homes of tax collectors and sinners, and today he's eating at the home of someone who would have been on the opposite end, seemingly, of that spectrum. He's eating at a Pharisee's home. Now, he's been invited to this home for dinner, but based on what we see in this passage, it doesn't necessarily say that he was the guest of honor or that he was honored while he was there. In fact, many of the customs of the day have been foregone. We see that Jesus comes into the house and the host has not offered someone to wash Jesus' feet after he's come in off the street. That he's not been given oil or anything to anoint him as a welcomed guest in the home. That none of the customs had been met for that day for Jesus to come in. But Jesus is there for that dinner. And during the dinner, which would have been a pro a pro a probably a common occurrence, 
that Jesus, a teacher of the law, and the Pharisee, a teacher of the law, would have come to discuss the law and to discuss God's word and to discuss the things that are happening in that society. And many people would have gathered from around the community and the neighborhood to come and witness this conversation, this discussion between two teachers of the law. The Pharisee, Simon, he holds Jesus at a distance because Jesus is his equal teacher of the law and teacher of the law discussing the things of the law. But it's in the middle of this context that this woman appears. If Simon is renowned for being a teacher of the law, this woman is notorious as a sinner in the city. She is someone who's walked in off the street, someone who does not belong. And throughout our time in the Gospel of Luke, we've kept repeating this, that Luke writes this Gospel for the outsider, for the person who's on the outside looking in to remind you that you have a place in God's kingdom. And in this book and in this passage, this is what we see. The outsider of all outsiders, the outcast of all outcasts, coming into the middle of this house and doing something that she's not supposed to do, doing something that we don't really see too often. She comes in with a jar of perfume. She opens up the jar of perfume and starts to pour it on Jesus' feet. And then the Bible teaches us that she openly weeps and sobs. Now remember, this is not just a gentle cry. This is open wailing and sobbing that the Bible talks about. She's weeping at his feet and the tears are running down her cheeks and onto the feet of Jesus. And she does something that would not have been okay in that culture. She lets down her hair and wipes the feet of Jesus as she continues crying and pouring out this extravagant love upon Jesus. There are two very specific people here that we've got to watch because both of them can be us at different times. There's Simon the Pharisee. Jesus, you're my equal. Jesus, I'm going to hold you at arm's length. Jesus, I'm going to withhold some trust. I'm going to withhold some honor so I will keep you at a distance. You will come to my house once in a while. You will come have dinner with me once in a while, but not necessarily will I pour out love upon you. And then there's this woman who from the moment she gets there can't stop pouring out love upon Jesus. What's the difference? When we look at this passage of scripture, we start to see that word we talked about at the beginning of this morning's message. Owing, debt, owed. Both of them owe something, but only one of them is fully aware of what she owed. Both of them owed something, but only one of them is fully aware of what she owed. And because she's aware of what she owes, she treats him differently. It reminds me of Desmond Doss. That name may be familiar to some of you, but may not be familiar to everyone. If you've ever seen the film Hacksaw Ridge, this, might, this name might jog your memory a little bit. But Desmond Doss... In 1945, Desmond was a young man growing up in Lynchburg, Virginia, growing up as a very devout believer in Jesus Christ. Part of Desmond's calling and his purpose in life, he believed, was to never carry a gun, was to never hurt someone, was to never kill someone. He believed strongly that he was, as a follower of Jesus, meant to help people. But Desmond also felt strongly called to go to the war that was happening in Japan at the time. 
So what does Desmond do? He enlists in the military, and he goes for basic training. He goes to basic training with this one absolute purpose in mind. I will not fire a gun at someone else. So you can imagine the way he was treated when he went to basic training. His, his platoon, his troop, had absolute disdain and anger toward him. They mocked him, they ridiculed him, they openly beat him because he would not carry a gun and his superior officers wanted him court-martialed immediately. Why? Because they believed he'd be a liability if he came to war. How can a man who does not carry a gun, how can he come to war with us and fight this battle? Desmond Doss was one of the most hated men in the United States military. Over and over again, he would be abused, mocked, ridiculed. He'd be brought up for court-martial by his superior officer. And over and over again, Desmond Doss would face the persecution and say, I am committed to this belief. I will go to war and I will help people, but I will not kill someone. I will not hurt them. In 1946, he goes to the Battle of Hacksaw Ridge in Japan. And I don't want to tell you all the details because it's worth reading or watching and seeing this. But over the course of multiple days, Desmond is at the top of a ridge when a surprise attack hits the United States military. And Desmond, over the course of multiple days, drags dozens and dozens of men to safety, injured men that he drags over, ties ropes to them, lowers them down, and goes back over and over and over again and brings one more. In fact, we know from his life that he kept praying, Lord, give me one more. Lord, give me one more. Lord, give me one more. And he would keep going back to the point where his own troop were telling him, Desmond, stop going. And he would keep going back to the top of the hill, grabbing more soldiers, lowering them down. Desmond Doss was hit by a sniper's bullets. He was actually received a grenade to the leg, and he kept going back again and again. At the end of it all, Desmond Doss saved over 75 men from the top of Hacksaw Ridge and brought them to safety. He just recently passed away, but one thing that you'll know about his life is that throughout his life, the 75 men that he saved were the same 75 men that mocked, ridiculed, abused him throughout his life. But you ask them at the end of their life, do they still feel the same way about Desmond? Not at all. They will call you their great, they, they called him their greatest hero. They called him the man who saved my life. And they often would say, there is not another person in this world that I love more than Desmond Doss. What happened? What changed? How do you go from abuse and ridicule and mocking to being the person I love most in this world? Somewhere along the way, those men realized what they owed to this man, and it changed the way they behaved toward him. And somewhere along the way, this woman who was living in sin recognized what Jesus had done for her, and she completely changed the way that she looked at him and the way that she looked at herself. Everything changed when she recognized what she owed to him. Oftentimes for us, when we have an improper view of our sin, of what we owed, we will have an improper view of God. And for so many of us, if you ask yourself, and if we're here this morning, and you have come and you're saying to yourself, look, my love for God, it seems cold in these days. My love for God is nowhere where it used to be. My love for God has grown weak in these days. I want to remind you, how does this woman pour out extravagant love on God? It starts when she has a proper view of the debt that she once owed. 
When she recognizes who she was and the debt that she owed, she has a much more proper view of God. Think about it. It was a Pharisee who should have a proper view of God, who struggled to have a proper view of God for one reason, because he did not have a proper view of his own sin and the debt that he owed. So what did he do? He kept Jesus at arm's length. Jesus, you can come to my house for dinner, but we're not really going to get close. I'm not going to give you the honor that you deserve. And in fact, I am going to test you in my heart. The Bible tells us that the Pharisee, Simon, believed in his heart. He said to himself, if this man, Jesus, was a real prophet, he would know this woman that's touching him right now and who she is, that she is a sinner. Simon was very aware of her debt but not so aware of his own. Do you know what we often do? And I am so guilty of this. We play this game called comparative Christianity, that I am good, that my debt is small compared to someone else's debt. Now, Jesus is clear here. Both people have a debt that they cannot pay, but Simon believes that my debt is smaller in comparison to her debt. There's this concept in photography called forced perspective. You probably have seen pictures like this where the, you can take the sun and make the sun look really small compared to you. Or you can take a group of friends and make them look very small compared to you. Or you can take the moon and make the moon look like it's your size as well. What do you do? You bring yourself really close and you put something else very far away. It's this idea that I can make myself look greater compared to something that's farther away. And this is what Simon does. This is what we do. It's comparative Christianity, this idea that my debt is something I can ignore because someone else has a higher debt. And so while he's playing this game in his head and keeping Jesus at arm's length and at a distance from him, this woman is doing something very, very different. Because when we look at someone else's debt, we are unaware of the debt that we owe. So what does she do when she comes there? And this morning, if you find yourself in a place where your love for Jesus has grown cold, if you find yourself today in a place where it's been tough to be passionate about God because I have to care about so many other things in my life and in my world right now, if you feel like your passion and your desire for God has waned in these days, then this woman is, is as great an example for us to look at as anyone there might be in all of Scripture. While the Simon the Pharisee is saying, if only he knew who she was, this woman is saying something different. I do know who I was, but I also know how forgiven I am today. There's something that reminds us about this woman that we can also apply to our own lives. It's a cycle, a little circle that we can continue living especially this morning if you find yourself struggling in your relationship with God. The cycle goes like this. The more I love Jesus, the more I recognize the depth of my sin. The more I recognize the depth of my sin, the more I recognize the power of his forgiveness. The more I recognize the power of his forgiveness, the more I love Jesus. And then the more I recognize the depth of my sin, and the more I recognize the power of his forgiveness, and the more I love Jesus. This is what this woman does. 
Why is she openly wailing? Why is she letting her tears fall down? Because I love Jesus because he forgave the debt that I could never wipe clean, that I could never forgive. He did it. I recognize his forgiveness, and so I will love him all the more. I think for many of us, we come to church on a Sunday, and that is not the priority in our hearts. It's ultimately, what can I get out of being here? What encouragement can I get? What blessing can I get? What powerful feeling can I get? And we will come here on a Sunday, and we will make it about us. We become the center of attention, the center of affection. But watch this woman. From the moment she gets there, she cannot stop loving Jesus. There's nothing in here about her asking anything from him. There's no request request being made to Christ. It's a constant, constant, how can I love him even more? This morning when you gather and you're asking the question, why don't I love Christ the way that I used to? I hope we can see something from this woman's life where the Pharisee was holding a distance between himself and Christ. She closed the gap. Think about this for a second. She wasn't invited to that dinner. That didn't stop her. There was so much etiquette and so many customs that she had to obey to be there. But that didn't stop her. She said that I recognize the power of my debt, the, deep, the depth of my debt, but I also recognize the depth of the forgiveness I've received and nothing will stop me or get in my way of honoring him for what he did for me that day. Her love valued closeness with Jesus, so she just kept getting closer and closer to him to lavish that love upon him. Her love valued Christ over herself. Nothing that she does is about her. Think about it. She endures the humiliation and the scorn of being in that room that day. Why? Because it's not about her. It's about how much can I lavish worship and praise upon the one who gave me grace and forgave my debt, who ultimately gave his life for me, will give his life for me. How do I go and love him, make him feel loved? And if I'm honest with myself, so often I can come here and come to be loved to be the center of affection, to come here to feel God loving me. When God has called me to come here and to recognize the debt that was paid on my behalf and love him for it when I come here. When I go out into my world or into my work or into my car or into my home to constantly love him for what he's done for me. She never once makes it about her. She endures this ridiculous amount of shame and humiliation and pays a heavy price. Why? Because she believes that he is worthy of that affection. She never counts the cost of worshiping Jesus. I want you to think about this for a second. Say a friend or a neighbor called you today and said, hey, would you come over tonight and help me paint my house? A call that we all love to get, by the way. We get this call... And the neighbor or friend says to you, look, I'm going to be working all night to paint the house. Can you come with me and paint the house with me all night? We'll stay up from like 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. We'll paint the whole house. Now, some of you are good people and you'd go and do it. But if I'm honest, I would count a lot of costs before I did that. I would say to myself, I've got to lose a night of sleep. I would say, can't we do this in the morning? I have to get up tomorrow morning. I would count the cost of staying up overnight to help someone paint their house. But what if your child came to you and said, Mommy, Daddy, Grandma, Grandpa, 
will you stay up with me all night because I feel sick? Would you count the cost then? How many of you would run into their room and stay with them through the night as they are sick or they're struggling and stay with them through the night? Why do you count the cost in one situation and not the cost in the second situation? It's simple. Because the object of affection is worth the cost. And for many of us, when we come here to worship God, we count the cost because the object of affection is not worth the cost. I can't really fit God into my week and into my schedule. I've got so many other things to do. God does not meet my comfort or my convenience. He doesn't fit into my timeline. So therefore, I will cast him aside and not pour out extravagant love on him. Why? Because the object of affection is not worth the cost. I want you to recognize the cost that this woman paid. It's not just the jar of perfume, because that would have been expensive. Most likely, that jar of perfume may have been her family jar of perfume, meaning it may have been her dowry for her to be married one day. It could have also been a tool that she was using in her trade. But either way, there was massive cost associated with an alabaster jar, and there's massive cost associated with the perfume that's inside that alabaster jar. But she recognized the cost of pouring that on Jesus' feet because the object of affection is worth the cost. But I don't think that's the only cost that she's paying. This woman faces the scorn of the Pharisee Simon, but everyone else in that room would have likely been pointing and whispering and saying, she should not be here because she is a sinner. She faced the humiliation and the scorn of the people in her community and in her neighborhood, but for this woman, that cost was not prohibitive to show love upon the object of my affection. I think for many of us, this is the struggle. How do I fit God into my week? How do I fit God into my day? This woman built her entire experience with God on God. He was the object of her affection. And so she poured out extravagant love on him because he was at the center. If I'm honest, I'm too often like Simon the Pharisee, keeping Jesus at arm's length. I will fit you in when I will fit you in. Yeah, you're invited for dinner once in a while. Yes, you're allowed in my house, but you are not the object of my affection. You are not the center of my universe. But for this woman, he absolutely was. And so she kept on worshiping him. Jesus says like this, that from the minute I walked in here, she has not stopped honoring me. I think what we can learn from this woman that's so powerful is that she valued closeness with Jesus, that she valued Christ over herself, that she did not count the cost. And another thing that she does is that she keeps going. She is just consistently weeping and wiping and, and pouring tears upon his feet and anointing his feet with perfume and kissing his feet. It's this idea that I will not stop because stopping would be holding me back from what he actually deserves. This morning, I speak to all of us. Those of you who are watching from home right now, I speak to all of us. Has your love for Jesus grown, grown cold? Has your love diminished in these last few weeks or months or possibly years? Have you become the ultimate center of affection, the, the person who this universe revolves around, or is Jesus now the one that you've actually called Lord and you've treated him that way? This morning there's a reminder that if your love for Christ has grown cold, 
then it's about the more I love Jesus, the more I will recognize the debt that I owed. And the more I recognize the debt that I owed, the more I recognize the power of his forgiveness. The more I recognize the power of his forgiveness, the more I love Jesus. Let that wheel just keep spinning every single day in your lives, but it starts by recognizing the debt that you owed. You see this woman, and Jesus makes this clear. This woman is not forgiven because she loves. I want us to make that very clear. She didn't love Christ so much that Jesus said, now you are forgiven. The love that she shows Jesus is evidence that she was forgiven. That because she was forgiven such a debt, she would now live a life that acts that way. I think for so many of us, we can easily approach God with the opposite. To believe that because I am good, because I loved God, now God will forgive me. To walk in and assume that I show up to church, I read my Bible, I give praise, I, I give to the church, I, I am faithful in attendance, and therefore God will forgive me. That he owes me something. In fact, how many of us this week will walk into every single day relating to Christ as though he owes me something? Jesus, I went to church on Sunday. Help me in this situation. What does this woman do? This woman says, I already know what you did. So I will lavish love upon you because of that. The reminder for all of us this morning is this. That you and I have been forgiven an incredible debt. That debt was paid for us. When Jesus goes to the cross, that debt is paid once and for all. It's paid in full. But you and I will go through each day like Simon the Pharisee testing Jesus. God, prove yourself to me today. Prove yourself to me in this scenario. Lord, I'm facing something at work. Prove yourself in that scenario. But the woman comes to Jesus saying, Jesus, you've already proven yourself. When you forgave me, you've proven yourself. Now let me live my day in worship to you and let me live in such a way that my life brings worship to you. Simon and the woman, they come from two very different places, two very different worlds. Simon with limited trust, Simon with limited honor, Simon holds Jesus at a distance. But this woman with unlimited trust, unlimited honor, gets as close to Christ as she can so that she can love him and honor him. This morning, for all of us to know the heights of love that I can give, I must also know the depths of forgiveness I've received. Let me say that again. To know the heights of love that I can give, I must know the depths of forgiveness that I've received from God. And this morning, it's not an opportunity for us to come and dwell on the past and our sins of the past. That's not what's happening here. It's an opportunity for you to recognize the debt that you owed and to treat God differently based on what you've been forgiven. To recognize that I was forgiven a massive debt. And so this morning is an opportunity to recognize that debt once again. Here's the thing about Robert Smith at Morehouse College. Robert Smith didn't just the next day call up every loan company in America and say, hey, can you delete these 396 names? That's not what he did. Robert Smith wrote a check the next day. That means he had to pay the price for those people. The debt wasn't just wiped out. 
The debt was paid for. And what Jesus does for this woman is he doesn't just delete her debt. He would go to the cross and pay her debt. And I think for so many of us, the reason why we don't love Jesus the way we used to is we've lost, track of this, or lost sight of the fact that he paid our debt. He didn't simply delete our debt. He didn't simply cancel the debt. He paid the debt. He paid it with his blood. He paid it with his body. He paid it with his life. And when I think about Jesus and what he's done for me, there is no other response except to pour out lavish love upon him, to not make myself the center of attention, to not hold him at arm's length, but to love him because of what he's already done for me. This morning, if you find yourself far from Christ, if you find yourself deeply divided from Christ, this morning, if you find yourself questioning him, I remind you of the debt you once owed, and I remind you of the power of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ this morning, that that forgiveness is still available to you. Pastor Tim Keller says it like this, and I think this is a great way to summarize it. He says, the gospel is this. He says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believed. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is what drives our love for Jesus Christ. That my sin was great, his love was greater. And that forces me to love him even more. This morning, if you are here today and maybe Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life, I remind you to know the heights of love that I can give to God. I must know the depths of forgiveness I've received from God. And every one of us here today and every one of us watching right now have received forgiveness from God through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As our worship team comes back to close us out in worship this morning, I want to remind you again of that picture of what's happening here. That you and I are not simply recipients of a deleted debt, of a canceled debt. You and I are the recipients of a paid debt. And when you and I are the recipients of a paid debt, then our lives must respond accordingly. It's as though you and I had committed a terrible, horrendous crime and we were brought into a courtroom before a judge who has every right to, to judge us to life in prison or to death because of what we've done. So often we imagine ourselves in this scenario, and here's what we do. We imagine that the judge showed leniency toward us. That the judge said, okay, I will reduce your sentence. But here's what Jesus actually did. Imagine that same judge decreeing that you are guilty and that you must face the punishment of death. And then that judge does something that was so unexpected. He gets up from his chair, he takes off his robe, and he takes your punishment for you. That's what Jesus did for us. He paid the debt in full, and this morning, that's why we gather to worship. We love him not because that's what gives us our forgiveness, we love him because that great debt was paid for us. I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads this morning. If I'm honest with myself, so often I am Simon the Pharisee. 
I invite Jesus once in a while. I let him sit at my table once in a while. I will have discussions with him. I will converse with him. But I still hold him at arm's length. I will not give him the honor that he deserves. I will not pour out the love that he deserves. Why? Because I believe that I'm a 50 denarii sinner and compared to a 500 denarii sinner, I'm pretty good. This morning, the parable that Jesus tells is the greatest reminder that you and I have a debt, had a debt that we could not pay. And instead of just canceling it or wiping it out because that would not be just, he went and paid the debt for us. If your heart has not been with Christ lately, if your heart has been cold because of all the busyness and the work and the life that you're living, if your heart has grown cold because you've seen bad things happen to you, you've seen bad things happen in your family or in your home, and you've said, God, if you were real, you would prove yourself in this situation. This morning, there's a reminder that he's already proven himself. That when Jesus went to the cross, that when nails were driven through his hands, when he was beaten and whipped and mocked and persecuted, when his beard was plucked from his face, when he was spit upon by the crowds, that the debt was paid in full. And this morning, if you have no other reason to smile, if you have nothing else going for you, this morning I remind you that your debt is paid in full. Lord, we come before you this morning and God, we recognize that our love is nowhere near the love that you deserve. And so often it's because we minimize the debt that we owed. We have maximized how important we are, how righteous we are, and we have minimized the debt that we owe. And God, this morning I come back and I confess, Lord, that I am a sinner that is in need of a savior, that this morning, God, I come back to the one who paid my debt, not just canceled it, not just erased it, but paid my debt in full. And Lord, I love you because I recognize the depth of my sin, but I recognize the depth of my forgiveness. And so I love you even more this morning. God, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for amazing grace that sets me free, that breaks every chain, that sets my life free to worship you and to honor you and to live for you. God, we give you all the glory and honor this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name, the name that paid it in full that we pray. Amen.